We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you. We are continuing our sermon series called The Best Stories Ever, and today's sermon is titled Lifestyle Adjustments. Well, it says in the Bible for us to relate to one another. As a Christian community, we're to be united. We're to have relationship with each other. But it also tells us that we are to relate to the world, to not be of the world, but in the world. And many times, Christians, we lose touch with the world. We're never in it, and we become ineffective. We actually sometimes become irrelevant to the world, and we're criticized for that. Well, today's sermon is about learning to be effective in the world. The world looks at us sometimes as Christians, and many times it doesn't see a difference between our lifestyles. And people see this as hypocrisy, where our lifestyle is not different than what we tell people's life, their, their lifestyle is supposed to be. And so we don't, they don't want anything to do with the Christian community just based on that simple hypocrisy. Well, we are to be different. We are to be a different kind of people, a different kind of community. And our reputation as a Christian and as a Christian community, our biggest reputation needs to be love. We need to be the best lovers on the planet. People need to know us as that, that because of our faith, we love people. Because our love for God, we love human beings. So God has given us his church, which is the body of Christ on earth. And when one accepts the Lord and one is received into the body of Christ, we are bound together as a community of faith. Belonging to Christ means that we belong to each other. Fellowship with Christ means we fellowship with each other. And through Christ, God has made us a family, a community of faith. And this is our God-given support system to learn to grow, to spiritually grow, to get rid of that which holds us back and to learn to love people more than we've ever loved people in our past. And this community is different than the societal community. We're not focused on ourselves. We have a different value system. We are other-centered, a different moral basis. We love even those that are so different from us and have a different standard than us, we continue to even love our enemies. And that standard, that standard that we hold of love needs to be attractive. So before we start adjusting our lifestyles, we need to talk a little bit about some myths that I think people buy into about the Christian faith that sometimes puts us down that road of hypocrisy. It puts us down that road of our lives just don't look anything different than before we were Christian than after we were Christian. So the first myth of the Christian faith is when I become a Christian, my life will get easier. That's a total myth. We all know that that's not true, yet sometimes we just want to believe that that's true. There's Christian communities out there that promote such thinking. It's that health and wealth where when you become a Christian, you no more debts and bigger paychecks and checks in the mail and new cars and new houses and, and no problems. Well, when you become a Christian, you're adopted into a family and that family is unfamiliar and a family is, is, has more people in it and a family that is, that's not perfect and you have all these imperfect people coming together for the purpose of learning to love Christ and to love others. Why? Because life is difficult 
And when you make the conscious decision to change and to be different and to follow Christ than to follow self or follow the world, life gets tougher. And when you accept Jesus, you're accepting the responsibility to open your life to growth. And it usually takes pain to grow, right? So pain makes life difficult. We're faced with new challenges. We're faced with new conversations. We're faced with sometimes new emotions because we're becoming more and more transparent and going below the surface and penetrating our emotional lives, looking at our past and digging through sometimes that inner child. And that's a tough process to go through as God heals us and transforms us from the inside out. Well, Romans 8, 17, but if we are to share in his glory, we also are going to share in his suffering. So for suffering today, I don't want this to be a Christian cliche because it's easy to say, and I've done my plenty share of suffering along with you as you have suffered as well. We need to be thankful for the refinement and look for the refinement. In the midst of suffering, that is very difficult to do. We need to be thankful for the strengthening and look for the strengthening. Well, in 1 Peter 4.12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the world, to all the world. What that scripture doesn't say is I just need to be fake happy when I'm going through suffering. Suffering is real, and suffering creates real emotions. I tell my daughter all the time, all emotions are real, just not necessarily telling us the truth. And so when we're going through suffering, we need partners in our life to share our emotions with and to maybe get pointed to the right help that we need. Suffering, as C.S. Lewis says, is the shaping of the Christian with a hammer and chisel of adversity. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts to us in our pains. If we're being shouted at and shouted out and chiseled with a hammer and, a, and in adversity... I think we need more than ourselves to go through that journey with. So the first myth, if I become a Christian, my life gets easier, not true. The second myth, if I become a Christian, I can just do what I want, not true. There's something about God that is God's will that's so much different than my will. And it seems a, a lot more solid than what I can come up with in this life. God's way or my way, I'll take God's way. So I would rather follow a command that God gives me than think about even the consequences of my own mistakes. And there's so much confusion about our will and God's will and people live in insecurity about God's will. There's one thing that I know about God's will, that if I'm loving people and I'm learning to love people more and I'm learning to love those that are different than me and learning new skills to reach out to those that are in need and learning to be more generous and learning more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I know that that's God's will. If I'm learning more about how to be self-absorbed and building my own kingdom and acquiring more wealth, I think it's pretty clear whose will that is. So God's will is very clear, and it usually has nothing to do with my will and what I want, my desires, right, my self-ish desires. We work, out that we work out of those desires and wants, but God works out of purpose and kingdom-mindedness and loving, 
loving his creation. So a wise person once said that we discover the will of God for our lives through the word of God in our lives. And I would encourage us to study the word because we learn the will of God for our lives through the inward conviction of the Holy Spirit and yes, through our circumstances and as we dig deep into God's word, we can learn God's will of how to navigate through those circumstances better. So our life is made up of continually following God's will and doing away with my own desire. We need to press towards what God wants and what God wants needs to marry to what I want. And so the early Christians figured this out really quick, that the Christian life was not going to be a cakewalk. They needed to understand that also, that their wants needed to, they needed to adjust those wants to what God wanted. And so the early Christian figures out really quick that the Christian life, they needed to follow what God wanted, not what they wanted. And they needed that adjustment. So the book of Acts explains to us that life is selfish and materialistic and the godly life is fruitful and giving and loving. So this morning I'm gonna give you, give you a couple of ideas on how to adjust your lifestyle, moving from what you desire and you want and adjusting some things, and maybe there's some minor things that we can adjust to becoming more devoted and following God's will in our life. So first, I need to devote myself to Christ. And in Acts 2.42, it says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. The word devote stands off the page for me in this scripture passage. They devoted themselves to several things. And I believe that when we devote ourselves to Christ, we also devote ourselves to those several things that Christ devoted himself to. So first is the apostles' teaching to the word of God like I just mentioned before. At the beginning of Acts 2.42, they continued in devotion to this apostles' teaching, simply meaning that they were committed to the teaching of the apostles as they were given from Christ and from God. What was the teaching of the apostles? Well, Let's remember that the New Testament was not written at this time. So the apostles taught from the Old Testament, showed and pointed to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And they also taught from the teachings that Jesus had given them. So the majority of these new believers were Jewish by birth. And now that God opened their eyes, they saw Scripture as something more than just rules, regs, and practices, and even myths and history book about their people, but a living and relevant book that could transform their lives. It was the living word of God to them. And so a Christian is one that is devoted to this learning and teaching and, and sharing of God's word. It changes us. It changes our desires. The word of God changes our wills. It changes our wants more to what God wants. And sometimes it takes a lifetime. Sometimes it takes a day to change certain things in our life. But I can guarantee that if we follow God's word, dig deep into it, we begin to align ourselves to the will of God. But they also devoted themselves <clears throat> to fellowship. And in the church, there are old and young and wealthy and poor and healthy and not healthy and all different types of people from all different types of walks of life, baby Christians, mature, quote, believers. And in spite of all that diversity that we have in the church, we are to be united in rich fellowship. 
So the Lord's 12 disciples, the big 12, right, in, in the gospel that we read were a very diverse bunch. Simon the Zealot was basically, a, I would call him a redneck of sorts, that, that hated the Roman government and just was like that rebel, that zealot type person. Matthew was a, a tax collector, a co-conspirator for the Roman government. Thomas and Peter were opposites. Peter was impulsive and he was... He was fickle and, and angry, right? Thomas was a thinker and slow to respond and yet deeply committed to following Jesus. So I am sure that these different personalities and those 12 people clashed. Yet there was fellowship and Jesus united them and they would eventually learn to check their egos at the door and serve not only each other but serve the world with the message of the gospel of love that Jesus was here and he was the Messiah. So fellowship is intended to bind us together in this love. This includes meeting together and sharing in meals together and I know that that has been very difficult over the last year but now that we open up ourselves and we, we are able to maybe feel a little more secure about meeting with one another and keeping with social distancing and mask wearing and all that, but maybe we're able to meet together slowly and find security in that again. Like last night, just last night, we had a men's group that met around some fire pits and we had great food and fellowship and it was a fun time. And all we did was tell stories and share what has gone on in the last year. And some people I hadn't seen in person on these grounds, the church grounds, for a year, for a year, and they were here. And it was like a reuniting, it was so good for the soul. So sometimes that fellowship, we need that fellowship, that togetherness and that connectivity just to see each other face to face, to know that, we're hey, we're still around, we're still here for you, we're still, we're still batting in your court. We're still right there, uh, right by your side. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are fellowshipping and learning to be united and loving not only each other, but learning to love others as well. So the early church, they believed in prayer, and they had a fervent belief in prayer. Prayer was a critical component in their health as Christians. And they gathered together each day to seek the will and the direction of the Lord. They prayed every day and sometimes all day long. And if any Christian wants direction or blessing or correction or guidance by God, they need to prioritize prayer in their life because it's the conduit of the Christian life. That's prayer, listening to the voice of God through prayer and listening through meditation. So Christ devoted himself to all of these practices, and so do we need to devote ourselves to what Christ devoted himself to, the practices that are shared in Acts 2.42. So in order to adjust my lifestyle, not only do I need to devote myself not to a set of rules, not to a set of regulations or, or necessarily even practices, but I need to devote myself to the person of Christ. I need to learn and talk to and fellowship with Jesus. And we also need to be committed to a community. And I'm just going to just expand this a little bit farther because in Acts 2, 43 through 46, it says this, a deep sense of awe. So they, as they connected with Jesus, 
they had a deep sense of awe that came over them, and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So they're watching this happen, and all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property. They sold their possessions, and they shared the money with those that are in need. I mean, that is quite profound, that they communed together like that, literally sharing everything they had with one another, especially those that are in need. So we need to realize that as we are cheering each other on, that we are, we are on the same team. We might look different or we might look the same. We might, might like act different or we might act the same. But we're encouraging one another towards the great thing, towards the great idea, towards the great person, Jesus. We're encouraging each other, even though we might come from all different walks of life, we're encouraging each other towards Jesus, and we are united in that fact. Someone once said that the experience of the authentic community is one of the purposes God intended to be fulfilled by the church. And the writings of Scripture lead one to conclude that God intends the church not to be more one more bolt on the wheel of activity in our lives, but the very hub at the center of one's life. When we met together last night and we were just fellowshipping together and talking, what I noticed is usually when you gather people together, you know, you have a few that come and then they leave early. No one left early. Everyone stayed, and they stayed late, and the first people started to leave, and usually what happens is when one person leaves, then a whole band of people leave, and that didn't happen. One person left, and the rest of them stayed, and then another person left, and the rest of them stayed. We were literally here until almost 1 a.m., just fellowshipping together, sucking smoke off a fire because it was smoking us out around the fire pits. The church is this way that we meet together and we center ourselves around Jesus and we fellowship and learn to love each other so that we can love others even more effectively. So this community of believers I think is essential to our spiritual well-being. In the New Testament, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. It's always two by two. So believers needed each other back then, and God expects us to be there for one another. So we need to expect each other to be there for one another and play a vital part in each other's lives. And for that, we're commanded in Hebrews 10, Let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So what is God's purpose of putting us together? Well, the purpose is for loving others. We don't do that solo. We're unified in our common weaknesses and different weaknesses, and we're unified in our common failures and different failures, and we're unified in our common disappointments and our common inconsistencies and our different disappointments and our different inconsistencies. We all come to the table differently. For what purpose? Not just to grow ourselves and have a self like help group. That's not what the church is about. Our testimony, our story comes together with all of everyone else's story, and that story is imperfect, but Jesus perfects us, 
Even in our imperfection, Jesus says that we are perfected in Christ and we're holy and we're, we are called and we are saints. And he, he doesn't call us sinners um, in the New Testament. He calls us saints in the New Testament. That is our new name and our new reputation. And we encourage each other in that so that when we go out into the world, we can act this way. In Acts 2.45, They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And so as we feel supported and as we feel strengthened and encouraged and empowered through the community of believers, we're going to face storms and temptations and we receive strength from each other and that's God's plan so that we can go help those that are in need so that we can learn to be more generous and learn to be more giving of ourselves and our time and our wealth and our our lives and other people's lives. So in Acts 2.46, it says they worshiped together at the temple each day. Men in homes for the Lord's Supper shared meals and with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to the fellowship those that are being saved. So they supported each other. They lifted one another up in tough times. They were devoted to Christ and his purposes. They were devoted to each other. They were committed to the community of believers. They met together. They were committed to share the gospel with one another and to others. And they worshiped the Lord. And the Lord added to their numbers those that were being saved. And that's the beginning of the church. They learned how to love people in a very, very powerful way. And that's the powerful beginning of the church. And that's what makes this story the best story ever. So let's take communion with that. When, G- when Acts 2.42 says that they met together and they broke bread together, the Lord's Supper, and they said, they said that they, uh, they met in homes. And, they, and as you are watching this, maybe you're in your home meeting and you're just listening to this right now, wherever you're at. Maybe you're listening to this in the car on your way to somewhere, or maybe you're listening to this at night on your headphones as you're just, or your ear pods as you're just sitting there at night taking in this sermon somehow. Whatever situation you're in, wherever you are at, just think about and visualize the beginning of the church and how generous they were and how loving they were and how powerful they were And there were all these things because Christ came, he died, he resurrected, he sent his spirit, he promised he would come again. And he said this here, do this in remembrance of all of those things. All the things that I taught you, all the things that I was and is and is to come, and all the things that I'm empowering you to be. Do this in remembrance of me, he says. So let's do that and say thanks be to God. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, we praise Jesus. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to change our wills to align more to your will. Lord, I pray that we would learn to be devoted to such things as we learn today. Lord, to be a church united on the purpose of Christ and being devoted to Jesus. Lord, and being devoted to each other. Being devoted to loving others. 
Lord, I just pray that you would add to our numbers, Lord, those that are being loved and saved in such a way. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.